The Roots team is proud to bring you Strengthen Your Roots, a podcast that takes a deeper dive into connecting with teammates, as well as personal and professional skill building. Welcome back, listeners, for this month's episode of Strengthen Your Roots. I'm Sarah Weiss, a product support analyst on the business support team, and I have the privilege to be part of a new sub-series where Roots members will be spending time connecting with business units that serve unique customer groups and markets in a series titled Bridging the Gap. Our goal is to help teammates gain a broader understanding of how we fit into the ag industry and the value we can provide. I would like to remind our listeners to stay tuned later in our discussion for the podcast ponder question, where listeners will have a chance to add their input and yammer for an opportunity to win an amazing prize. To kick off this new series, I have the pleasure of introducing Dustin Oswald and Nicole Christensen from the Capital Markets team. Welcome, guys. Yeah, thank you for having us, Sarah. Yeah, thank you. Can you just introduce yourselves? Tell us a little about you, your role, how long you've been here. Uh, yeah, I'll go first, Sarah. Um, thanks again for having us. My name is Dustin Oswald. Um, I'm a relationship manager on our capital markets team. I've been in the farm credit system for just over 12 years now. So for those that don't know, I actually started my career at Frontier Farm Credit and their capital markets team as a capital markets credit analyst. I was there at Frontier for about four and a half years, and at that point uh, is when the strategic alliance took place, and I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to move to Omaha, Nebraska, again, as a capital markets credit analyst, worked on our buy side portfolio for four to six years, and in 2019, I transitioned over to the relationship side of the equation, and I've been in that seat since then, so uh, yeah, just over 12 years in the farm credit system. Yeah, Nicole, how about you? I'm Nicole Christensen. I am a capital markets credit officer. I've been with the company for seven years now. Um, I've been in my role for 18 months-ish, almost two years, but I've been a credit analyst for about 13 years uh, between uh, working at Farm Credit Services of America and a couple other financial institutions prior. Ooh, I didn't I didn't know that about you, Nicole. I thought you'd been here in this role longer than that. So that's that's news to me. Well, good job. You're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> so what industries do you each work with? Uh, so I work uh, on many of our in- industries. I've had the benefit of working a lot on the credit side in multiple industries. So I, I can sort of plug and play on a lot of specifics on the sales side. Uh, however, the primary industries that I cover include the energy industry, so that's anything from solar and wind farms, to generation transmission and electric distribution companies, to grain companies located outside of our LSA, to different food companies that help support in, in markets for the products that our retail footprint grows. And then um, as a credit officer, we are um, specialized based and there's three industries that I mainly focus on, and I focus on uh, dairy processing, wine, and paper products. So not just paper, but it's toilet paper, paper towels, those kind of products. As a group, there's quite a bit more industries. Um, Some fun ones I personally like is like the seafood and the timber uh, side of things is interesting, knowing that we get into those. Yeah, and it's really cool because 
located in the Midwest. I grew up in Kansas and I think about agriculture as corn, soybeans, cattle, and hogs, right? Right, uh, same. In, in other parts of the country, you know, timber is an agriculture industry. We just don't see it that much within our LSA. And so we help support other farm credits, agriculture markets, and, and their consumers are getting their products to the end consumer. But that also diversifies our risk as an association because those commodities do not move in lockstep with our core commodities in our retail footprint. And so they can help to diversify our risk and also provide growth for the company. I'm surprised neither of you said your favorite was the wine industry. <laughs> well, I feel like that would be a fun favorite. one. To, <laughs> it's like that'd be the fun one to hang out around, right? <laughs> so Nicole, you don't get very many then because it didn't sound like you and Dustin had much overlap in your, your specialized industry. So you don't get a lot of the stuff that Dustin puts through then. So you can't, you know, give him a hard time about not doing it right. No, I know <laughs> he's totally on it in a different world. I was able to work with him quite a bit when I first started in the role and was able to dabble in each industry. That's one nice thing as a credit officer, um, new into the team. Um, Gary allows us to do credits in each area to kind of find areas that we like and that fill our bucket as analysts. And um, unfortunately, I really like wine and milk and cheese. <laughs> uh, and I guess paper products kind of goes with it. Um, Not so much electricity. And <laughs> yeah, those were his specialties. I, I highly enjoyed working with them, but I, I will take wine and cheese any day. Yeah. I'm sorry, Dustin. Oh, no, absolutely right. <laughs> But, you know, that gives our team the opportunity to focus and learn on unique industries because it takes time, it takes resources. We attend different industry training events so Nicole can get fully immersed in the dairy processing industry and she'll know that way better than, than I do and vice versa right. for, you know, different industries that I cover. Right. Yep. And I mean, that's that's awesome because these, like you said, they aren't industries that we generally work with here in the Midwest every day. So to get more specific and get that specialized knowledge, that's that's really awesome. I, I'm guessing that probably gives us a pretty good edge out in the marketplace, so. It does, that's absolutely right, Sarah. <laughs> so what is the farthest, you know, you guys, is your, your customer base is all across the United States. So like, what is the farthest that you've had to travel to visit a customer? You know, some of our relationship managers have traveled as far as Alaska. Uh, to visit seafood processing industries up there. I myself have not traveled that far. Probably one of the, the roughest trips I've been on is in California. Everybody thinks about California as being a, a great place to visit, and it is. Uh, but the places we visit that grow maybe almonds or pistachios are located within the Central Valley, and that can be really difficult to get to from Omaha, Nebraska. And I've recalled flying into Fresno, uh, taking a tour up through the Central Valley and then having to book flights out of Sacramento or Bakersfield or maybe Los Angeles in, just in order to get back in a decent time. Um, so the trips can become pretty cumbersome, but they're they're fun as well and gives us the opportunity, as we call it, uh, kick the tires, you know, with the management, uh, see the operations of a customer. Uh, if you see the the graphs and the PowerPoints, that's one thing, but getting to meet the management team is a completely different viewpoint on a transaction. 
So right. uh, we travel quite a bit. I've been coast to coast within the same week, New York, all the way to California within that same week. Uh, so there is quite a bit of travel, um, but we, we enjoy it. And it gives us the opportunity to make lasting relationships. Yeah, as a credit officer, we don't travel as much. Uh, we travel probably once, twice a month is usually um, how much we have ability to travel since a lot of our job duties are um, at our desks, writing up the credit analysis um, and looking at financials. Um, but it, it's a lot of fun to go travel, um, kick the tires, meet um, the customers, also meet the other uh, institutions that we are participating with. Uh, I would say the farthest I've traveled, I mainly travel California um, with the wines, Napa, uh, Santa Rosa. Uh, again, the flights out there are a little treacherous just because we are going um, out one day and we're coming back the next day. And then for dairies, that's all across the uh, nation. Uh, so for the so far that I've been um, for a dairy producer was in Arizona and it's flying into a central airport and then getting in a car and driving a few hours to, to the location. So it's quite a bit of travel. That actually reminded me of a trip Nicole and I took together. Oh boy. <laughs> that 18 months ago, I think. Yeah, it was in April. Yep. So uh, we were um, working with another farm credit institution who had a customer, uh, almond grower in California, but they were diversifying uh, their production to grow pecan nuts in Arizona. And so this might've been your first trip in the capital markets. Is that right, Nicole? It was, and I'm still going on trips after this. So I just want to make that point. <laughs> so, Nicole and I, we flew into uh, Tucson, Arizona. And a lot of people think capital markets travel can be glorious. They just think hotels, that nature. Uh, Nicole and I stayed at an airport hotel in Tucson. Um, not very nice. Our oh dinner that <laughs> was at the restaurant connected to our hotel, which was connected to the airport in Tucson. Um, so not all that great. And our visit uh, with the company actually entailed loading in a vehicle and then driving another hour southwest to Tucson, roughly near uh, the Mexico border, touring, how many acres of pecans was it? It was like 2,000 acres yeah. of, of newly planted pecan trees. Um, so what, I feel like you what, see one acre of pecan trees. You've probably seen the, enough of them, right? <laughs> and that's not including probably the thousand acres of non-planted that they showed us too, just to oh. show us that they had the land. Well, not okay. only is, is one pecan tree sort of like the next pecan tree, but one acre of dirt in that area of pecan tree <laughs> is about equivalent to the next one. So, right. <laughs> that was a fairly long trip, um, but we did get that transaction done and approved. Yep. And they've been performing. So that's good news. And we supported, uh, you know, a key customer of another farm credit. I think right. you missed the biggest, I think the fun factor of it. We didn't realize how close we were to the Mexican border. We were like a mile away. And I remember texting Dustin and said, you didn't tell me to bring my passport. Are we okay? <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a rough um end to your trip if you found out you crossed the border and couldn't get back. <laughs> Wait until you hear where we got lunch from. I don't remember the exact name of it, but it was an RV park and a restaurant and something else all connected in one spot. Um, oh, really? We, yeah, we, <laughs> it was out there. 
uh, and there wasn't a lot to choose from, but the food ended up being pretty good. Uh, but we got to see some of our RVs parked and one of our dairy customers, uh, dairy facility there. So we checked in on them as well. You mentioned you're taking all these trips and you're flying all over the place. But based on what you just said, I mean, they're pretty quick turnarounds. So you're not going out and doing a lot of sightseeing, right? I mean, these these trips are pretty close back to back. So there's not a lot of time for, you know, you mentioned some might think, oh, the travel is glamorous and fun. Yeah, uh, it's pretty much in and out. Um, for example, two weeks ago, I flew to Minneapolis for a meeting. You know, I left Omaha at 6.15 in the morning for my flight, which meant I was out of the house by 5.30 in the morning. Um, got up to Minneapolis, met with management from one to two, meeting from three to five, dinner that night. And then I was on a 5.45 a.m. flight the next day back to Omaha, back uh, working from my home office by 11 a.m. the next day. So less than 36 hour turnaround. Did you sleep? <laughs> Not a whole lot. It was pretty bad. I went to bed early that, that next night. But uh, yeah, a lot of it's just keeping it, keeping going all the transactions that we do in cap markets, at most, we have 10 days to work on it from start to finish. Uh, typically, that starts off with a lender meeting uh, near the company's headquarters where they give us an overview of the company. We may go tour one of their facilities or a plant that they're building. Uh, we'll have dinner with them that night to get to, to, get to know the management a little bit better. Um, I can still recall one of my first lender trips we had a uh, a dinner with management team and it really gives you the ability to see how they'll react and, and talk and make relationships uh, different than a canned PowerPoint presentation that's been viewed by a lot of people. And at this specific dinner, it was in Boston actually. Um, fun fact, I saw DJ Polly D walking through <laughs> the place where we were going to have uh, the meeting at. Uh, probably, <laughs> I hate to admit this, but it's probably one of the more famous people I've encountered. <laughs> Hey, that um, might be more than most people. So true. Uh, but at this dinner, the waitress spilled a seafood tower on the CEO of the company down the back of his white shirt. We we're all in suits and ties. Oh, no. And we got to see how he reacted to that. Right. And he was the nicest person in the world. Uh, very apologetic, uh, understood the situation. But uh, depending on how he reacted to one of those deals gives you the chance to see who is this person and get to know them a little bit better than just business. I got to experience, um, went to Chicago for uh, a meeting and we're sitting at dinner, really nice uh, restaurant, steak restaurant, having a great time. And it was the World Series and the CFO's team was playing and we took out our relationship manager and another one, um, Farm Credit Texas was there and took out our phones and we watched the game and just seeing the interaction and the personality he brought besides just being business was really interesting. And we're, again, we're in this really nice restaurant and they hit a home run and he gets up and starts cheering in the middle of the restaurant, <laughs> doesn't even care. And yep. it just, it gives different character, uh, to those meetings that you bring back. Yeah. I, I like those stories. It's not all business. It's they're humans too, right? And getting to see their human side helps you, like you said, gain better insight to who you're doing business with. So that's awesome. And stuff like that gives us the ability to make relationships so that we know, all right, that CFO, CEO is a fan of such and such team. 
when they're playing that company, you know, we might send a text to them saying, Hey, you know, good luck to the Phillies or good luck to the twins. And it kind of builds that second and third step relationship with the company. Um, Because one of the unique aspects of what we do versus what the majority of our company does, my relationships are primarily, primarily with the banking partners that lead a transaction. Uh, That's my first uh, line of connection with anyone. And that's who I need to have my relationship with so that, you know, we're, we're sort of taught um, to be Switzerland, you know, in, in what we do so that banks can be competing for different deals. And so I need to have a relationship with every bank that's getting a look at that deal. So that if X bank wins the deal, but Y bank does not, I, our company still gets a look to support that line of business. And so any chance we can use to help position ourselves to do that, uh, we take advantage of that. Yeah. No, that's, that's great. That's an awesome way to do business. How, how else do you build that portfolio? Right. So I want to, I kind of want to pivot a little bit here now because you guys have gone through um, a whole kind of restructure, rebranding, renaming of your teams. Can you explain the difference? Like I know there's confusion out in some of the retail offices. I sit in a retail office, but I also have the the pleasure of working with your team. So I, I know a little bit more about your teams than maybe some retail teammates do. So can you describe the difference kind of between capital markets and the corp different corporate teams and kind of those areas of expertise? Yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to take that one, Sarah. So you can think about corporate uh, business development as overseeing all the very large and complex credits that exist in, in what we do business in. And I'll start with the easy one first for me is capital markets. Uh, that's tr- traditionally just buy side activity. So capital markets will not be leading a transaction from start to finish. We're working off someone else's loan documents and other bank that's leading uh, the credit as either a joint lead arranger or lead arranger of the credit facilities. And we're reviewing all their legal docs and whatnot, but it's primarily on the buy side of all those transactions. Um, Also uh, within our team is corporate agribusiness. They're doing the same thing, but they're also doing much more originated transactions. So they're working directly with customers. You know, it's on our loan documents or using outside legal counsel to do those, but their relationships are going to be with the companies that we're lending to. And then they'll syndicate out if there's additional uh, debt financing needs that we wouldn't hold um, just within our company. And then you can also look out across the floor and there's corporate protein. Those would all be big feedlots or big swine customers or big poultry operations that we finance. And to sort of round out our group is uh, corporate commercial, which would be larger retail credits that need a different level of complexity in terms of loan documentation. So that, that as they grow, we can grow along with them. And so they might ultimately become a corporate protein account versus a corporate commercial account. And, and just being able to, to um, handle the complexity with those accounts, if we need to bring in participants, uh, it helps with that workflow. There's a participation and syndications team. So what are participations and syndications and what exactly does that team do? So participations is bot loans. So we're just like Dustin said, capital markets, we purchase our loans. So we're working with a syndicated group of other lenders. Um, There's an agent, we're using their docs and we're purchasing from them. 
On the syndication side is we have a team here in-house that are selling our originated loans out um, to the finance, other financial institutions. And so they're usually our larger loans, more complex. You're gonna see them in the corporate side. And what we're doing is we're selling them out to the market and that helps spread out that risk to other associations, especially on those larger loans. Cause not one institution can take on the risk of a, I'm just going to throw out a number $500 million loan, that's too risky. So if you can spread that risk out to other associations, you can help that customer grow and grow with them in that syndication group. Yeah, and our, our syndications team, you know, it's really a great example of uh, focusing on efficiency because they're building out the relationships to sell loans that we originate. And so if we have a swine customer that we know we can't hold 100% of their debt needs, they'll know the farm credit system participants that have openings or, or have the ability to grow with the swine industry, maybe know that industry very well versus other farm credits that aren't as open to the swine industry. So they're making those relationships and it helps our relationship managers focus on a deal and a transaction and working that through the pipeline and relationship with the company and not dedicating their time to the sell side part of that activity. I had questions on my own on that. So you actually clarified some of those <laughs> those things for me. So thank you. Um, so let's, let's kind of look at the bigger picture. So just to kind of understand for everyone, what type of impact like the capital markets team has on the association, what percentage, I mean, do you know what percentage of the books for Farm Credit Service America, Frontier Farm Credit comes from the capital markets team? Yeah, as, as we sit today, Sarah, uh, I think we're about 20 or 25% of the company on, on an ADB basis. And the, the thing I always help to coach people to learn about our team is we're highly efficient because we're a team of 13 to 15 individuals, but our whole positions can be on the lower end, $10 million, and on the upper end, up to $175 million because of the balance sheet we have uh, that retail helps support through the growth of that line of business, helps support the, what we do. Um, so we've been growing uh, fairly aggressively the past few years. And, you know, as you start to forecast out, if we grow up 15% for the next couple of years, we could get to 25 or 30% of our company. Um, and the other thing I like to coach on, on that note is almost all of our business is high quality credits. Um, if you look at our credit quality the past 10 years, it stays relatively constant at or about 98 or 90% credit quality. So we're growing with large hold positions and high quality credits. It helps counteract some of the cyclicality to the commodity side on the, our retail line of business. So it helps buffer that and we can provide an avenue of growth if, if corn markets are down and soybean markets are down. It's another avenue of growth for a company to continue to get larger. It really helps move that needle as you guys grow. It does. It does. And, you know, I mentioned we're, we're highly efficient. Um, I think the net income from our group uh, that we contribute to our associations is roughly 150 to $180 million. And a lot of that is non-patronage income based. And so it can help funnel patronage back to our retail line of business and support, uh, you know, our 1% cash back dividend that, you know, we advertise. Awesome. Love that. So with your book of business spread out on quite a large territory, how do you actually 
prospect and look for new business. You know, it's different from a financial officer out in a retail office where they have their county that they service and they, they can go down to the local auction and see who's bidding on the ground for sale. So how do you guys go about prospecting for new business? So our, our first, you know, marketing effort is the relationships we have with other lenders in the space. Um, and that requires a lot of on the road travel. You know, we have a one or two page document that we share and we meet with them because all the big banks, they're constantly rotating people that we contact with. So we've got to keep uh, coaching and preaching who the farm credit system is, what can we do? What industries do we like? What's our hold position? Uh, because you go to a Morgan Stanley, you go to a Goldman Sachs, uh, any of those, and their first thought is who is the farm credit system? It's 60 some you know, different companies that all kind of exist under the same umbrella I'll, I'll call it but how do you all work together and how do you work differently and and what are the rules of thumb and working with that so it's building and maintaining those relationships so that when when they see a business or a piece of business that might fit the, what we do we're the first call on their list so that's line number one and i also use some software called bloomberg that lets you see a lot of public or private company databases and it takes some digging and fin financing to to get through, you know, that web of activity, but we prospect on there. We, we just completed a deal that has some locations uh, here in Omaha that I personally never heard of. And I've worked in the industry for 12 years and it's a high quality, large multi-billion dollar company that I hadn't heard of that's located here in the Omaha metro area. So even with that, some companies are very skilled at, you know, skirting just under the radar to keep out of the public perception. Um, so that kind of gives you, you know, a cue, uh, uh, how we go about the marketing efforts. I have it on my list. I seem to run out of time, but I, I try to make phone calls, just the contacts that I do business with weekly or biweekly. Um, and that makes relationships with them. So when they see a deal, like I know on Wednesday, we have a company that's a tomato paste company that grows tomatoes, processes them into paste and very strong PD5 type company you know, that we're getting a look at because of the relationships we've built. That's actually kind of a good segue because I helped that transition with the tomato paste. So as a credit officer, when I go out and meet the, the customers, um, I know that my relationship managers, they're really out there to make those connections with not just the customer, but with the other institutions, the other relationship managers that are at play. My job, I look at it as, is I'm making connections with not only the relationship um, managers, letting them know that, you know, if Dustin's not there, I'm always there to back them up if they need something. But also there's other credit officers um, that go to the meetings as well. And so building those relationships with other um, teammates uh, within credit. So then if I have questions, because the wine, or, wine industry is way different than the dairy. And when you look at the financials and we're not, um, I'm an expert, but I don't live in wine country. And so there's some nuances that I might not hear. Um, and so I now have contacts in, with like Northwest Farm Credit because that's where they're located. I can reach out to that credit analyst and ask some questions because um, I built that relationship instead of having to go back to my relationship manager and ask some questions. So I have the ability to do that uh, myself and kind of lead those conversations. Um, but also too, sometimes uh, there's incidents that the relationship managers aren't able to 
make all the lender meetings because they all end up in one week. And so um, I had the ability to step into one of them, had some relationships built with the relationship managers and was had, had some conversations. And actually, since my relationship manager couldn't make it, I was able to grab that tomato paste deal um, and hand it off and say, hey, come back. I came back to the team and said, just to let you guys know, reach out to them. They have a deal waiting for us. Um, so trying to be that bridge in between to allow them to do their job out traveling. Yeah, one part I forgot to touch on, all the banking partners we do business with, Sarah, uh, it takes years and years to climb to the top of the list, a lot of work to get there. And it's sort of like steering the Titanic. Uh, you got That was going to be my next question. You read my mind here, Dustin. <laughs> you got to be careful how you, how you steer it, because if you take a 90 degree turn on something that, you know, they're counting on us to help them out with, uh, and we don't get you know, to the end successfully, you fall to the bottom of that list very, very quickly. And so um, you don't want to do that because then it takes years and years to get back up to the top of the list. So uh, maintaining the strong and consistent approach to the market, you know, brings you to the top of the list, you know, consistent in our hold positions, large bite sizes, so they don't have to work with uh, a whole bunch of lenders, but a few lenders makes it much easier on you know, the, the lead arranger in a facility. And so climbing to that top of the list, you know, I can give you a great example with COVID-19, our team, after the initial stay at home mandate, we were back out on the road, flying with masks on empty airplanes, keeping those pipelines of business open. And that's really has contributed to our strong growth the past two, three years and helped us climb up that list. Yeah, nothing slows you guys down, does it? <laughs> I'll add to that too. Uh, we pride ourselves on quick turn times. I know there's the 10 days that they give us, but we try very hard as a team to get an answer to them at least 24 hours to 48 hours before that deadline's out there. So they know that we're committed and we're not surprising them at the end. And we work really well together to, to succeed in that area. For you guys, it sounds like it's just a lot of staying out in front of these different associations and just making sure they don't forget about you, right? I mean. Yep, that, that's absolutely right. And even more so on the on the big bank side, because they have all the big bank relationships, you know. Um, so staying in front of them is a big part of what we do. What else would you want teammates in the association to know about capital markets? Are there any like common questions you get or any misconceptions you hear about that you, you would want to address during this time frame? The biggest misconception is the travel part. Like I ran things that, I mean, we touched on it, that yep. it's glamorous. It's, you know, constantly, you know, night is going to LA, San Francisco, hot spots um, when it really is a quick in and a quick out. And as a credit officer, most of my time is uh, getting up to speed on the financials before walking into that lender meeting, making sure I'm taking the notes. Uh, putting that in, information into a Word doc so I'm prepared the next morning when um, I get home that I can start doing my job. Um, and it's usually a late flight coming home. I mean, coming home at 11, 12 o'clock at night and getting a quick night's sleep and then working, getting up the next day and starting work at eight o'clock in the morning. 
Yeah, we, we were so used to working from airplanes, airports, hotels before COVID that um, when that happened, it was no different from us for us because we were used to working from wherever we needed to work from to get the job done. Um, what, what I like most about capital markets, we, we touch base on how fast paced it can be, um, but every deal that we do is different. And so I enjoy you know, seeing different businesses and, and different business environments and learning about each one of those different transactions that we do, that variety keeps me interested in the speed at which we do those transactions. That That's what intrigues me and, and draws me to capital markets. It keeps me entertained. Every deal is yep. different that we look at and it's fun. Something new every day, right? Yep. <laughs> Say one thing that I love. I don't know how you feel about this, but going in the grocery store and going down certain aisles, and I will spend at least 10, 15 minutes um, in the dairy aisle. It bugs my kids and in the <laughs> wine. Um, but I just look at all the product and I know where it's coming yep. from. And I grab the product that's our customers. And also, too, it's, it's sitting there and saying, I'm making a difference in this world. And there it is. It's a positive yep. difference. I can see that on the shelves. And I, I love that about our job. That's awesome. That's a good feeling walking through the store. Yes. Well, With thank you both. Yeah. <laughs> yes, right? Exactly. The basics, the necessities. So thank you both for sharing all these insights and this information so far. I'm loving every minute of this. This is awesome. Uh, before we continue, I thought this would just be a good opportunity for our listeners to know a little bit more about you both and get you uh, thinking a little quicker on your feet. So we're going to do a bit of a lightning round. I'm just going to fire off some questions and I want you guys to just give me the first response that comes to your mind. Okay. Ready, set. All right. Best movie of all time. Dirty dancing. Oh, okay. Good one. Fight club or goodwill hunting. Okay. I've never seen fight club. Goodwill hunting. I'll give you, but oh, you never seen fight club. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> all right. Place you most want to travel to. Italy. Uh, somewhere on a beach, I would say. What, Destin, pick a Destin, beach. Florida. Destin, Florida. Destin, okay. Why Destin, Florida? I don't even know where that is. I'd have to pull up a map. Uh, so it is up in the panhandle of Florida. Uh, the okay. beaches are phenomenal white sand beaches. The ocean's typically, it's called like the Emerald Ocean. It's the light clear blue. Uh, but more importantly, my wife and I got married there. So it's kind of a special, special place to be. Oh, that's sweet. You need to make sure your wife listens to this podcast, then she'll know that you gave her a good shout out there. <laughs> we'll probably end up going to Destin then. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right. Nickname you had growing up? Squirt. Nick. <laughs> what was yours, Nicole? Nick. Oh, Nick. Okay. I have I to ask, it. why squirt? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I just started, all my family started calling me squirt. I think it's probably, I'm not the largest person in the world. So probably fit when I was little. <laughs> Favorite season of the year. Fall. Same. Mine too. Probably Good answer. Weather, change. weather, football, you really can't go wrong. This episode's podcast ponder question is. So what is one item that you cannot live without? Oh, Nicole, your face, you're thinking hard. Come on, what's the first thing that pops into your head? <laughs> I hate to say it, my toothbrush. That's the first thing that that's came into valid. That's a good one. Uh, that threw me for a loop because I was going to say coffee, but toothbrush is really good. I'm still going with coffee. 
Okay, here's just a little bit of a fun one. If you were stranded on an island, which one of your teammates would you not want to be stranded with? <laughs> I will throw it out. I absolutely adore this person a hundred percent. But Chapman, I can't get him to talk to me ever. He is very quiet and I need somebody <laughs> to talk to me because me yes. talking inside my head is going to be really, really bad. Yep. It would be a bad situation for me. He's just very quiet. He's so yes. respectful and reserved. Yep. And I would need somebody a little bit more wild on the island with me yeah. to have fun. And Yeah, I'm the same. I don't think I could talk in circles to myself for more than a day, I think then I might go crazy. So I, I would need someone who who's more chatty. <laughs> yep. And, and he's great as someone I sit next to on a daily yep. basis. Yep. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm going to say Tammy because she's our support specialist. She keeps us all in line. Uh, so I feel like you know whenever we get out of line, she kind of knocks us back in the line. So you got to get this <laughs> done. You got to get that done. Um, if I was on, you don't want to be bossed I, around. No, no. If I'm going to be <laughs> stranded, I'm just going to live and see what happens. So that's my answer. <laughs> Those are good answers. Good answers. All right. What's your favorite summer activity? Boating. I think you can eat boat, fish, swim, and kind of a comfort that whole summer vibe. Yep. I like family vacations. Oh, any particular like family vacation that it was the best for you so far? Uh, so our, our kids, we have three kids. They're six, four, and three right now. Last year we went to Des Moines and did, you know, Adventureland and, and that deal. And that was a lot of fun. Uh, this year we actually went down to Arizona back in March during spring break. Uh, both my parents and my in-laws were wintering in Arizona. So we split up some time and got to see both sets of grandparents for the kids. So it's, it's just fun to get out of work. They're at that fun age too, where mm -hmm. they're happy with anywhere that you go. So yeah, make the memories. As long as you have a hotel with a pool, that's all they care about. You yes. can as much money to go to whatever zoos or activities or water parks, but it's always the hotel and the pool. That's the hit. Yep. And my boys are, are soon to be 12 and they, my youngest is nine and they're still that way. They're also on swim team though. So they like live in the water, but if you, they don't care how cold the pool is or how small the hotel pool is. They will be in it all day if you let them. So yeah, just got to have a pool. I agree. So what would, what is your go-to snack? Chips. What kind of chips? Uh, cool Ranch Doritos or Jalapeno Kettle Chips. <laughs> Not for you, Nicole. <laughs> Shake no, your head. it is Nacho Doritos, first of all. Those no, I, I don't know. No, I couldn't eat either. Answer on who I do not want to be stranded on an island. <laughs> Sorry, Dustin, you got booted <laughs> off the island. <laughs> no, it's nacho chips. If that is one item that if it went off the earth, I would be devastated. I actually have this argument in my house because two of my kids prefer the Cool Ranch, but one prefers the nacho Doritos. We only ever buy the nacho, but I love the Cool Ranch. So, but the boys in my family will only eat the nacho. So, so I'm going to go off on a tangent here because I have this great <laughs> business idea. I think they should market Cool Ranch and nacho seasoning for grilling. So you can oh. put either one on like a chicken breast or pork chop and grill it and see what it's like. 
I was thinking even putting on your French fries. Like, mm-hmm. like that would be really good. That's a good idea. I feel like you need to reach out to the Dorito people and, and have a conversation. Hey, Pepsi. <laughs> yeah, right, right. We're, I need your contact for the Dorito market. All right, cats or dogs? Dog. Dogs. 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 Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm trying to convince my husband to buy number three. I'm not winning in this household, oh. but. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Last, last rapid question here. Preferred in the office beverage. Water. Coffee. Coffee. See, I feel like every time I'm in Omaha, it's a heated debate. So now, Nicole, do you have a specific water? Is it the bubblies or you just like plain water? Just plain water. I know I'm, I'm a little lame, but I like coffee. Yep. If I have more than two cups of coffee, my teammates would not want me around. I'd be too hyped up on caffeine. <laughs> so you're doing everybody a favor by sticking with the water. Yes. Oh, good, good answers, you guys. That was fun. So let's just, we got a couple more questions here and then we will wrap up. Describe to me, like, what does a day in the life at work look for you? What, what does a day at work look like for you? Typical day. Yeah, go first, Nicole. Mine's a little easier than your, you guys. Um, so come in in the morning, set up my computer like everybody else. Um, with being in capital markets, we do get emails all hours of the night and during the weekend. So, I mean, you're digging out of emails right away when you come in. Um, usually I have about 20, 30 emails um, in Oof. the morning from the night. Um, and then I usually have my list of when things are due. So um, I start setting, planning up my day or my week based on when commitments are due. And then I start gathering the data, the information, I review it. I like to sit down with my RMs and just touch base with them and say, here's my game plan. I've reviewed this. This is my timeline. Does it work for you? And then I just really start digging into my financial analysis um, and writing my credit presentation and then putting it into Encino. That's usually my day. And then trying to track you guys down to and um, not knowing, <laughs> like, do I text message them? Do I email? Do we instant message? Just kind of trying to find where they're at and being also proactive and knowing what their schedule looks like. So um, trying to gather the questions and getting in front of them in enough time that they have enough time to do their job. I like how Dustin laughed when you said trying to track them down. It can be tough. not always an easy task, right? <laughs> like I said, day in a life for a credit officer is a little easier to explain um, than the relationship managers. Yep. I'd say my day is largely unpredictable. They seem to go so fast anymore. I'm, I'm not even sure where, where the day goes, but it's typically, typically filled with phone calls, usually two to four, you know, with our lending partners, walking through a transaction or asking the question, hey, we like this company. Is any other debt traded on the secondary market that we, you know, could acquire for a price that meets our return threshold? Um, like today, I'll just walk through. We had a team meeting this morning. It gets us all in alignment for the work week every Monday, 830. Here's where we're going to be. Here's what we're being. Here's what's being worked on. Um, here are the deals that are due, who's taking this one, who's taking that one. Um, 
I had to get an invitation out hosting some clients in for the College World Series for a day and a half uh, next week. So was getting uh, sort of putting the fine touches on that agenda for Monday and Tuesday. I had a lender launch call over the noon hour today where I got to learn about their their company, uh, this recording, and then I have several more things I need to do. So a lot of it's touching base with, you know, all of our lending partners about things that we're working on or working towards. And then keeping the technology aspect moving with Salesforce and Encino, um, it's, it's the RM's job to keep to start that process to get it over to the credit side to work on. And so we don't want them waiting on us to get an account loaded or an opportunity loaded so they can start their work or running pricing thresholds to get it hooked up to the credit approval. So just managing that aspect of it. Like today too, you forgot we had credit committee and that, that comes up every um, once in a while. Um, credits are approved either through committee, we get together, um, physically and discuss the credit and approve it. Sometimes it's already an established customer. Um, and so we can easily just throw it through an email and get it approved that way. Um, but those come up throughout our week as well. Yeah, I'd say 80 to 90% of the, the credits that we approve, we meet physically in person and we talk about it, the pros and cons with the transaction, walk through the business. Uh, those typically take 30 to 60 minutes for each deal that we do with questions. Do you have time for lunch ever? I mean, we used to have more time, but our, our <laughs> time, for, time frames have got even more compressed over the past couple of years. Yeah. You know, there's a, a part of our business, um, a, a debt financing can launch and fund all within one day. And that could be like the shortest stuff we have to deal with and what we do. So we talked about 10 days or short, but that would be the shortest that we have to work with. Yeah. And that's well, a lot of work to cram into one day. Usually as a credit officer, we, we eat our lunch at our desk most of the time. Just I know that feeling working on the support side. That happens a lot. <laughs> I just really feel bad for my mouse and my keyboard because it really gets the brunt of the mess. <laughs> you, have, you have to pick it up and shake it out every now and then to just... Every once in a while. <laughs> so last question. So what advice do you have for other young professionals in our association? Maybe someone who's early on in their career. What advice would you have for someone? You know, I grew up on a farm in Kansas. My dad's still a farmer to this day. My mom worked for the USDA. And so for a farm kid from Kansas to now have the opportunity to get exposure to places like Wall Street and California and, and finance the type of companies that we finance and get to learn about the business and build those relationships. Growing up, I never thought it would have led to a career like this that I love and to get exposure, you know, to all those different aspects of life. Um, you know, when I showed up to work at at Frontier, I had zero capital markets, corporate credit analysis. And um, all I did was I showed up early and I stayed later than everyone and sort of stacked winning blocks on top of winning blocks uh, that led to a lot of success. And then one thing leads to another. And so you just never know where that hard work, uh, you know, can lead to. But it was just being a sponge and, and learning from the people who spent their life you know, building capital markets from zero to where, where it set at a couple of years ago. And then now it's my responsibility to continue that growth. Um, so soaking up all the knowledge that they, they shared with me has, has led to a lot and just showing up and, and contributing where you can contribute and stacking wins on top of each other. 
And then the other thing I would say is our company has so many different irons in the fire, retail, ag direct, farmland, capital markets, corporate business development. Uh, I always appreciate when someone stops me in the hallway and say, oh, what, what are you working on right now? It gives me an opportunity to share that. And so just to stop and, and ask and talk with people and you can learn, I can learn from retail or ag direct what's impacting their markets or their success or non-success because we're all growing together as a company. Great point. Um, I would say my advice for young professionals, don't shy away from the hard, difficult um, opportunities you get. I've realized over my career, that's where I learned and grew the most was in those you know, harder credits, those difficult situations. And it wasn't just, it, it wasn't me alone. Usually I try to grab another teammate and get advice and learn from them. There's always somebody around you that's willing to help grow you and just finding that person in those situations and leaning in on them and learning and going into the situation in a growth mindset makes you such a stronger person and candidate and teammate in the in the future. Um, because when you just focus on maybe the easier deals or, you know, that project that's not so hard, you're really not learning, you're not stretching yourself, you're not in an uncomfortable situation. You again you learn from that deal, but you learn so much about yourself too. What's where are your pain points? Where are your weaknesses? Where are your strengths? And um it's okay to have weaknesses and strengths, but acknowledging them, I admit, you know, at the beginning, I didn't want to take on the challenges because I didn't want to fail. I didn't want to look like the person that didn't know what they were doing. And I realized, well, I'm really not learning anymore. So I'm more of a liability than an asset. Mm -hmm. um, and honestly, when you do fail, there's more people that rally around you and pull you up and make you successful. Um, so you can grow. It's a thought. I, I love honesty. that. Yeah. Challenge yourself and don't be afraid of failure. Failure helps you grow, right? Yep. That's great. Great advice from both of you. Thank you so much, both of you, for joining our conversation for this month's Strengthen Your Roots podcast and sharing more information, not only about yourselves, but about the Capital Markets team. It's been a pleasure to talk to both of you and learn more about both of you and your team. Uh, and we really, really appreciate your time today. So thank you very much. For any questions, comments, feedback, or ideas for future podcasts, please email dollar sign roots. Do not forget to engage with us on Yammer with our podcast ponder question from today's episode for a chance to win some awesome Roots swag. Stay tuned for next month's episode where the Catalyst ERG takes over the Roots podcast channel. Thank you to everyone and have a great day. Thank you for joining us on Strengthen Your Roots. We hope you'll join us again on our next episode.